Hey, Bankless Nation, welcome to another episode of State of the Nation, where we do a deep dive on a specific topic relevant in crypto. Hey guys, are you ready for the Web3 phone wars? Because I think that is just kicking off. David, that is our subject today. Last uh, roll up, we had a take on the Solana phone. I feel like, David, we didn't exactly nail that take. Yeah. All right, we didn't get a complete take there, and we want to rectify that today. We want to do a deep dive with a more nuanced take on what Solana is launching. So we have Anatoly and Raj, the co-founders of Solana, to tell us more about the Solana phone. David, what are we going to cover today? Yeah, so there's a, interestingly, in the last two weeks, three phone announcements all happened. Uh, Solana is definitely the biggest, the biggest phone announcement with like the most amount of just like effort and energy put behind it. So of course we got to bring the Solana team on to, to talk about it. But overall, like the thing that we were missing uh, when we were talking about it on the weekly roll-up, Ryan, is like. Obviously, we use crypto on our computers. Uh, you know, your phone is also a computer. But what does a phone-first ecosystem really unlock the Web3 crypto world? What does that really bring? And that is a question that I don't think we knew what the answer was on the weekly roll-up. And that's the question I think we are trying to answer here. What does a mobile-first, uh, mobile-specific Web3 ecosystem really bring to the table, not just for Solana, but for the entire crypto industry? And why is everyone seemingly having their mobile play uh, at this present moment? Uh, so, so there's lots I, of things to unpack here. And I still have some questions, David, and I still have a little bit of skepticism, but I, I'm hopeful by the end of this episode, we might be able to update our take on what the Solana phone actually is, how where it adds value to the ecosystem, and what it is about. So that is the subject today. Also, David, got to tell them about our friends and sponsors over at Juno. So David, Juno has this fantastic uh, crypto native bank is what I would call it. What's special about a Juno account? Uh, so it has all of the powers of crypto built right into it. So you, you get your, your, your normal features that you'd expect, like yield on your USDC or your Bitcoin or your Ether. But there, I'm pretty sure this is the only checking account in the world that goes straight from your checking account straight into crypto. But not it's just got to be the only one, right? On layer twos, you go from yes. your bank account to Optimism, Arbitrum, Polygon, and they also have ZK Sync and Starkware coming soon as well. I, it's the only bank account in the world that does that. Uh, you get your direct deposit into this account and then you get zero fees to swap that direct deposit fee into the crypto assets that you know and love. And you can also automate that too. So like it's checking account to layer twos, that's crazy. Yield on your crypto assets, we like that. Uh, but then also getting your direct deposit in crypto. Uh, Juno, it's the, it's the crypto first bank account for the digital age. They got a deal going on too, right? So look at the top, it says welcome bankless listeners. Yeah, uh, there's nice a little touch. deal, tell nice us touch. about that, David. Uh, yeah, so if you uh, deposit money from your direct deposit, you get $100 from Juno. Uh, and if you deposit crypto on the crypto side of things, you get $10. They are paying you to be a customer. Yeah, as long as you got to have a bank account, you have real life fiat bills, you need one of these. It is a step to go bankless. Uh, and it's an upgrade from your Wells Fargo account. I can tell you that much. David, got to ask you the question we start every single state of the nation with, which is what is the state of the nation today, sir? You know that Batman movie with Bane where there's that meme where he goes, 
We're going mobile. That is the state of the nation, Ryan. We are going mobile. Oh, my God. That's a deep cut right there. I barely remember that clip, okay? Yeah. yeah. Well, anyways, everyone's going mobile. Uh, Solana is looking like it's leading the charge into the mobile-first ecosystem. So we're going to explore what does it mean to go mobile as a crypto industry uh, because it's not just putting your crypto apps on your phone. It's much more than that. Uh, and I think uh, Anatoly and, and, and Raj have some of the answers there as to what... Web3 mobile really, really looks like. Look, this is a big project to sink your teeth into during the build market, which is what we're in. So uh, we'll get the full scope, scoop in just a minute. We'll be right back with Anatoly and Raj from Solana. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Rocketpool is your decentralized Ethereum staking protocol. You can stake your ETH in Rocketpool and get our ETH in return, allowing you to stake your ETH and use it in DeFi at the same time. You can get 4% on your ETH by staking it with Rocketpool, but you can get even more by running a node. Rocketpool is the only staking provider that allows anyone to permissionlessly join their network of validating Ethereum nodes. Setting up your Rocketpool node is easier than running a node solo, and you only need 16 ETH to get started. You get an extra 15% staking commission on the pooled ETH that uses your or node to stake. You also get RPL token rewards on top. So if you're bullish e-staking, you can boost your yield by adding your node to the decentralized rocket pool network, which currently has over 1,000 independent node operators. It's yield farming, but with Ethereum nodes. You can get started at rocketpool.net, and you can also join the rocket pool community in their Discord. You can find me hanging out there sometimes in the chat, so I'll see you there. Arbitrum is an Ethereum layer two scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Some of the coolest new NFT collections have chosen Arbitrum as their home, while DeFi protocols continue to see increased liquidity and usage. You can now bridge straight into Arbitrum for more than 10 different exchanges, including Binance, FTX, Huobi, and Crypto.com. Once on Arbitrum, you'll enjoy fast transactions with cheap fees, allowing you to explore new frontiers of the crypto universe. New to Arbitrum, for a limited time, you can get Arbitrum NFTs designed by the famous artists Ratwell and Sugoi for joining the Arbitrum Odyssey. The Odyssey is an eight-week-long event where you complete on-chain activities and receive a free NFT as a reward. Find out more by visiting the Discord at discord.gg Arbitrum. You can also bridge your assets to Arbitrum at bridge.arbitrum.io and access all of Arbitrum's apps at portal.arbitrum.1 in order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be, fast, cheap, secure, and friction-free. MakerDAO is the OG DeFi protocol, the first DeFi protocol to ever exist, even before we called it DeFi. MakerDAO produces DAI, the industry's most battle-tested and resilient stablecoin. Using Maker, you don't need to sell your collateral if you need liquidity. Instead, you can spin up a Maker vault and use your collateral to mint DAI directly. With Maker, the power to mint new money is in your hands. And there's something new in the MakerDAO ecosystem. Every time a new MakerDAO is opened, the owner can claim a POAP, which contributes funds to One Tree Planted, an organization with ongoing global global reforestation efforts, creating a world where digital participation and the health of our environment can live side by side. Soon, Maker will be present on all chains and layer twos, bringing the biggest and best DeFi credit facility to everywhere there is DeFi. So follow Maker on Twitter, at MakerDAO, and learn from the oldest and most resilient DAO in existence. Hey guys, welcome back. We are here with the co-founders of Solana. We've got Anatoly, who's a co-founder of Solana, and also the co-founder of Solana Labs, so the protocol and the labs company. We also have Raj, who's the co-founder of Solana, the COO of Solana Labs, and a board member of the Solana Foundation. We're going to talk a little bit about all of those organizations so you get some context. But the main topic of discussion is the Solana mobile phone. Raj, Anatoly, how are you guys doing? Great. Yeah, great. How are you guys? We're we're doing okay. You know, this is um, a time for reflection. It's a time where 
we get to concentrate and there's not as much noise in the space. Um, but let's start there before we get into the phone conversation. How are you guys doing in the bear market? What has changed? What has stayed the same? How, like, what are the vibes like over in the Solana ecosystem and, uh, you know, what you guys are building right now? Uh, Anatoly, why don't you start? Well, I think the, the bull market was the exception for us. We started in the 2018 bear market. Um, so we we're kind of used to the, the slog of it. Like this feels normal to me, actually. Like we got to work, we got to like, you know, hustle and, uh, you know, make connections, talk to a lot of people, build. So it's kind of feels more natural. So I feel like, you know, you guys calling it the build market. That's a good, good analogy. Good way to put it. Raj, you feel the same? How are you feeling? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, um, I, I, uh, if I got better at, um, monitoring the velocity of, uh, email and telegram, I might be able to find and calculate some kind of like leading indicator <laughs> of, you know, a market collapse. Um, but it's just amazing. I mean, I think the the noise really cuts cuts down by a factor of ten, and it becomes so much more clear, you know, what the um, what the important and durable problems are to solve uh, that are going to push the space forward for another ten years. So, um, yeah, I think during during the uh, the big run up, um, it felt like it grew to sort of a, a fever pitch, and and you know, you see these wild dreams about what what might be possible and what pe people want to build and um i think when when uh when clearer minds prevail um and, and the markets cool down it just becomes a lot clearer what's actually worth building right yeah i, I absolutely resonate with that and this was uh i don't know how, how many cycles you guys have been into maybe uh answer that that question next but th this was my second go around and at the peak of this bull market like i knew things were crazy i knew things were weird but like there were, uh, sometimes they were like, damn it, I fell for it again. Like, it's yeah, it's same, same. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen this guy before and I, it still got me. <laughs> so how, how, many, uh, how many cycles have you guys gone through? This, this would have been the second bull run that I was like hyper aware of what was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Yeah. So Did, during, this, uh, during this bear market, now that we have our, our sober caps on, uh, just explain explain to me like what what's just the vision for like what Solana wants to get done in the bear market. Obviously, this uh, this mobile thing, which is going to be the the focus of this conversation. But just like generally in the whole Solana ecosystem, what do you guys focus on during the bear? It's still the same thing. So I think product like how to get crypto adoption, how to get crypto to a billion people. Those are like the big dreams, and it's really really hard for us to know which apps or what use cases are going to drive it. So the only way we can do that is to like get devs to build them, like get a thousand people throwing darts against the board and one of them's going to hit a bullseye. So we're really focused on developer tooling, developer adoption, like everything. And that ultimately boils down to even like low level network performance, because the faster the network is, the cheaper it is, the more devs use cases they can launch and build and, you know, hopefully get the next bull market started. You, you think back to like DeFi summer, that was four companies really, right? That was it. So out of the thousand devs, it took a thousand shots on goal for them, did it right. And that kicked everything off. So we need the next four or five, whatever entrepreneurs to figure that out. Uh, does anything change when token price is like down big? Right, so like uh, ETH price is down eighty percent. You know, Bitcoin's way down. Solana's down like eighty-seven percent. High is. Are there things you can't do 
when token price is down or does like is price kind of just back background noise it doesn't really matter it doesn't affect your roadmap plans we never grew to a large company so labs is 75 people so like we were not it's not like we got to cut personnel and stuff like that that's been like i think like we only hired people when like there was a fire that or like i was so overloaded <laughs> or like that we could hand off a task that i'm like okay you go do this and then i go do the next thing and that has kept us i think at a size that it price isn't as important as to i think maybe other companies yeah i think i think either you know um you you overlevered and and you're an investor you're a hedge fund um you know, or you were providing an unsustainable product that really needed growth, needed needed a market run up to to keep um, going, and you blow up, or you know, uh, the lighter version is you you just scaled up a little bit too much. You have to do layoffs, but both of those are are pretty painful, and and luckily we haven't had to do either. One uh, one comment while you're talking, uh, Anatoly, about kind of DeFi summer. It was just for companies. One thing I've been thinking of is actually how resilient DeFi has been over the past couple of months, particularly when you contrast it to CeFi and how actually, if you think about this from a fundamentals perspective, like this is what's just happened in crypto, how all of the CeFi, all the, all the trusted proxies kind of broke down yet DeFi survived is more fundamentally bullish for DeFi than DeFi summer 2020. In my mind, that is true. And so if you're a fundamentals investor, if you're a builder, and you just watched all of the collapse of CeFi around you and DeFi is still standing. Fundamentally, that is incredibly bullish, even though price doesn't reflect it, right? Uh, so just so an when, observation I have. Yeah, I don't know. hundred percent agree with you. When Maker uh, like survived the 2020 crash, when everything dropped in one day by like 50% and Maker survived it, I was like, okay, this is despite people like shitting on it and, and like complaining about like the, it, it was like a, it was a stressful time for them. But the fact that it basically survived, I was like, okay, this is a thing that can handle a double black swan that was built like on this like kind of toy, like everyone, like it was like a toy computer, right? Like prior to that, but all of a sudden it's one that can handle like this crazy financial collapse. And I thought, that really, to me, showed the resilience of DeFi, um, and that was before I think DeFi really broke to the out into the mainstream. Okay, so I want to turn this conversation to to the phone conversation, and so I want I want to read a quote that uh, thankfully somebody put from our own uh, weekly roll up into the YouTube chat here. So I said we said uh, on the on the roll up, Bankless says that a blockchain having its own uh, phone feels like a big distraction and quote feels weird, uh, questioning why Solana entered the hardware game when blockchains are software. So I'll, I'll open up the the question to you guys, like why does Web3 or, or even a specific blockchain ecosystem need a phone? Like what, what does that do for that ecosystem? So Labs is a company, it's not the protocol, right? The protocol is a bunch of math, a bunch of codes run by a bunch of validators. And Labs, the company builds products. One of those products is a phone and it's a Web3 phone. It is primarily like we're focused on the Solana part, but the stack, the, the SMS stack, it's open source. So if there's devs that want to add Ethereum support, Bitcoin support, send PRs, we'll integrate them, we'll get them audited, and we'll, we'll make it happen. And the goal for this product, right, is to build an awesome 
experience, a delightful experience for signing for self custody for those integrations between applications like native applications and digital items, NFTs, and all the stuff you want to do with Web3. Just make it really, really like as amazing as using Apple Pay, right? Like every time I use Apple Pay, I'm like, this is, I don't want to enter another credit card ever again, right? Like this doesn't suck. I want the same experience for crypto. We don't have that, like, and you kind of need a couple pieces for that to work. Um, the main piece is taking the seed phrase and sticking it inside the secure element on the on the phone. It's not a new piece of hardware. I was at Qualcomm like seven years ago. There were secure elements on every device that ever shipped. There's a trust zone on every device that ever shipped. Just adding those APIs so you can do BIP39 key, key recovery. It's pretty, pretty simple, right? Like having the trust zone be able to sign and give the user a trusted display so the wallet can't lie to you what you're signing. The wallet never sees your seed phrase. That means that Phantom can is now can ship an application. The user doesn't have to trust Phantom to not screw up their seed phrase. And that thing can be brought up and tap to pay when you go pay for your coffee or when like Magic Eden wants you to you know, pay for an NFT or something like that. So that like piece of hardware allows devs to innovate. And that innovation is what I hope will bring product market fit, get to those billion users. You need devs to throw darts at the ball, at, at, you know, at, at the target. Right now they've all been doing this on desktop. Mobile is such a such a prevalent thing, especially outside of the US and in, in Europe, like most people just have a phone as their primary com computer. That actually most of them an Android phone. Okay, so uh, you, you said that all of the devices that shipped out of Qualcomm, and I'm, I'm assuming every single mobile device out there has that like secure element, like 99% at least. Has the hardware secure. is there, the I'm software right. is not. Right, okay, so I think that, that leads us into like, there two, there's two parts of this conversation. There's the hardware of the Solana phone, the, the, the Saga phone, and then there's the, the software, the SMS stack. Yep. Would you say like one of these things is more important than the other? And if you're telling me that like every bit of hardware has more or less the same like parts, the same components, I'm guessing it's the SMS, the Solana mobile uh, stack part of it. That's kind of the over bigger the long story here. term. Over the long term. The long term. Over the long term, I hope that what we're doing just gets co-opted by Google and Apple, and they're like yeah, this should exist and they just ship it. And then all of a sudden we cracked them open and Web3 mobile native is there and everyone's happy. I think like what you imagine, like po you know, post crypto adoption, you imagine your phone doing native signing, right? Native applications, like all that stuff being integrated, being shipped by every major manufacturer. That's going to happen, but somebody has to do it first. And the device, this flagship device, it's built by an amazing team like Jason. If it wasn't for Jason, this would have never happened. He's the founder of Awesome. He was the lead architect of iPad Pro. He built like James Cameron's submarine door, did like crazy projects for Johnny Eve that he can't talk about and like was the first or second hired essential. And like this is the device and his ability to ship hardware is what like allowed this idea to actually go from, you know, me dreaming about the day that we're going to have like native crypto experiences on mobile and they're like, okay, let's go do this. Um, so, yeah, so, so one, one important thing there is the, you know, if you, once you guys hold the device, you'll see it's, it stands alone as a flagship quality Android phone. And it's, it's kind of undercutting the market on, on price. 
Um, so, you know, worst case, this is just a really, really awesome Android phone uh, for, for Android users. But um, yeah, as you can see from the site, and if you watch the announcement, um, I think the video is there on, on solanamobile.com too. Maybe we don't need to watch it now because it's like an hour and a half long. Um, <laughs> But you know the first announcement was Solana Mobile Stack, and and um, you know uh, maybe maybe it's worth mentioning for for folks who who don't know. But Solana Mobile Stack is a, a few different features. It's it's seed fault that uses the secure element for uh, you know for a custody protocol. It allows instant signing of transactions, um, but it partitions the private keys from wallets and apps and and the rest of the Android operating system. So it's something like you know cold cold storage on your phone. Um, and then there's the the mobile wallet adapter, um, which you know lets you sign transactions basically across all all mobile web. So you're not dealing with these these web views in, in applications and you know copying and pasting links between apps uh, to to you know access mints and things like that. And then there's the the DApp Store, um, Solana DApp Store that uh, is is basically no fees, um, no restrictions on NFTs or or tokens. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, it's just a, a free playground for, uh, all the apps that people have already been using on Solana to just launch in a, a mobile native way. And that needs to happen because like the digital, like, like items, like NFTs are owned by the users, right? They're not owned by the content creator. And this is something that just doesn't work with web two mobile apps, like Google and Apple expect the application that is the mobile app to be the creator that owns that content to be able to take 20% of the value of that content and send it to Google. But like Magic Eden can't add $2,000 in a $10,000 NFT sale on a mobile app because that would like kill them, right? Like it just doesn't work. Like when you, when you get to true digital content, like the way that the business models for like the big app stores just don't work and they'll change eventually, but the only way that'll change is that somebody pokes that bear, you know, a little bit. Um, so our, our, that's our hope is that like, we're the ones that poke him hard enough and they're like, okay, fine. We better, we better change our models and that frees up mobile for everyone. Yeah. I, I think a couple of things that happen here too, like, um, you know, our, the first 250,000 users for Solana came through DGen Ape Academy, the, you know, just these 3D apes, and it was a total shock. Like we didn't we didn't know that was where usage was going to come from, and it, and that that was a result of you know Metaplex launching and basically breaking like the Nifty Gateway model um, of these constrained uh, launches and and no on chain uh, you know royalty splits, and it iterated really rapidly through like a hundred thousand projects into this you know really strong product market fit for PFPs, and then step in. You know, we didn't know Stepin was going to happen, right? And get to two million users that quickly. And and I think if you speak to you know to app developers today, they have no idea how to get something like that through the app stores. It's just it's so um, opaque of a of an approval process. And and even if they get through, it's so long. And then if something gets approved, they're really afraid to iterate on it and change it. You know, because it, it might it might then get banned. And in my mind, you know, as soon as Stepin happened, there should be 10 Stepins, um, you know, and we should be rapidly saturating, you know, uh, everyone who has a key pair um, on, you know, Solana, Ethereum, everywhere uh, with these applications that get product market fit and learn to grow in that way. So we can then figure out how to make them, you know, really sustainable and, and deliver more value through those, those models. Um, so when we talk to, you know, app developers, um, there's, you know, there was just this very clear big mental block. Like we're not even really thinking about a world where 
we can do anything in the app store and every user has uh, you know, the ability to sign transactions across the whole operating system. That's just not like the way we've been operating. And with users, it's just very clear, you know, pain points. You know, today I think crypto is in a very different place than you know three years ago because now we can say, look, like Solana's got at times 22 million monthly active addresses, you know, six million weeklies, and we there's millions of people trying to get these NFTs, and we hear all the time like we see people, um, you know, carrying their laptops through con conferences or you know, leaving a party or skipping a party because there's some hot mint happening or, you know, um, an NFT starts mooning and they're like, oh, I got to go delist it. Like I literally have to go home, you know, like people are leaving, you know, this has become important enough for at least a few hundred thousand people, um, you know, maybe a few million that um, they're leaving their everyday life. I'm, I'm sure you guys, you know, feel this and experience this, like you, you can't really live your normal life anymore because we have to access our crypto assets. Like we found something that is a, a foundational use case um, and asset class. And, you know, we're basically tethered to these, these uh, Dells. So the, the gist I've gotten is that the, the mobile stack, the software side of th this uh, whole endeavor is the bigger, the bigger of the two stories, but the software stack can't fully express itself on the legacy hardware that currently exists in the world today. You can't take the Solana mobile stack and put it on like uh, Apple Apple phone or or any other you proprietary have, phone. You need you need an OEM's permission to do that because you need an OEM to modify the trusted element. You can't right. like us as developers can't get that code through the App Store. So we need to work with OEMs, and that means working with somebody like Saga, mm -hmm. um, and having a flagship device and having like a founder that gets it, that has like, gets Web3, gets gets the privacy elements of it and wants to build a thing that represents that, like the physical uh, example of that, I think is what can set the example for like everyone else in the world. Like eventually I'd love to have HTC, Samsung, whoever, like take these take SMS and integrate. It's just a bunch of open source code. Right. So Solana is not playing in the game of like uh, Apple or who are, who are the other, like HTC. You guys aren't, you guys aren't trying to be at Solana Labs or like insanely profitable by selling this bits of hardware. You're using the hardware as like a Trojan horse to get the Solana mobile stack integrated into the greater mobile ecosystem that is beyond your guys' control. Is that, is that right? I hope we sell a shitload of phones and I hope Saga <laughs> and Awesome are extremely profitable. I mean, that would be great. But um, that's so the, the, the thing is that like the thesis here is that 50,000 Web3 early adopters that have this device that are active users that without Web3, without any restrictions in the app store for them is a better distribution channel for devs than the big app stores are today with millions of users. That, that's the big thesis, is that if we can get the right 50,000 people to have these devices, devs are going to build apps, and that's going to grow and start growing maybe to 100, 200,000. At some point, Google and Apple will figure it out and be like, okay, we need to have a real Web3 model and business model that works with Web3. We need all these features. We want signing to be secure for our users, and they will shift, right? But like, I don't have this belief that you were going to take down Google and Apple. That's ludicrous, right? right. A little bit, but <laughs> crypto believes that they're going to take down, you know, the $20 trillion financial system. Um, we're not going to so, take it down. We're just going to make a better one. 
we will we want them to change right you want the world to change ultimately not it's not it's necessarily pretty, like it's a pretty ground up rebuild right like right. <laughs> we call it web3 for for a reason it's mm -hmm. it's supposed to be fairly foundational and i think I, you guys i'm sure are, are are as frustrated as we are about this but like all these cycles we've been through and you hear you know these partnership announcements and you know xyz big company says all right we're doing it we're we're doing the crypto thing we're jumping into web3 and a whole cycle goes by as soon as the market cools down they get cold feet they lay off whoever they hired to work on it you got new people come in for the next cycle try and pick it up and it just never goes anywhere there's no durability you know because unless they see um organic you know grassroots applications that create a credible threat to their core business model they don't really move that fast um and yeah i mean we've seen this like goldman sachs called everything rat poison until the very last possible minute until there's billions of dollars leaving all of their you know most profitable uh, accounts to go into this this new DeFi thing then they say okay we're, we're hiring a 30 person team and, and who knows now with with the market downturn like are they still persisting are they going to be yeah. innovating and pushing things forward it we in our experience it just doesn't happen so you know you have to have products that are fully owned and controlled by the crypto industry and and that you know durably re relentlessly push against these these problems for users okay so th these are things i think that um uh, the solana community and you guys have have clarified for for david and myself because i think the first blush when you see this the question is like oh is solana trying to get into the hardware game and do they have the audacity to compete <laughs> against apple and samsung and what started to make more sense to me as I learned more about this is like, that's not the purpose, right? D David's uh, nutri other nutritional podcast that he's going to start someday. He, he always says to that's, me that like, that's, you weren't supposed to tell anyone. It's not true. Okay. okay that's, that's, that's still, uh, that's still top secret. <laughs> he always says to me, carbs are just a delivery mechanism for, for delivering real food to the body. Okay. So <laughs> this hardware phone is just a delivery mechanism for SMS, which is the Solana mobile stack and distributing that. And hopefully you get some hardcore fans who want a full stack type phone and buy the hardware. But the goal is to kind of saturate the software stack out there. And so that starts to make more sense to me. You guys are not trying to compete against Apple or, or uh, Google, but can, can you build out? And so one other thing, um, I think people mistook David and, and I's take on the roll up. We're actually like bullish on the potential of a web three phone. Cause I think we see what you see, which is like, we, we can't be beholden for, to Apple and uh, you know, the Google store to whitelist MetaMask. What happens if they just delist our MetaMask and phantom wallets? W like, what do we do then? And so we need to have a way to route around them. And, and, and also what happens if they disallow all of our like, <laughs> If, if they call everything that we're doing with all of our crypto economics in-app purchases and they want to cut out of that and it breaks our terms of service, sorry guys. So we absolutely need a way to route around that. But, but I want to ask you, it's like, are some of the features that come in the hardware side of things, they're, they're already available on our like Apple phones and our Samsung phones. Like, so the seed vault piece, right? Help me, help me understand that. So, what, like we all have these- uh, Yeah, uh, there's- um. Yeah. So you have like your 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 board or whatever. It depends how the integration works. There's a separate piece of hardware from your main CPU that is a secure element, and that thing has various features and does various services. But it can hold your secrets, 
and you have a trust zone component on the chip. It's slightly different on an Apple device, but I'm more familiar with the Qualcomm ones. That thing runs on a chip. It runs in a special context that the high-level OS, Android, and all the applications, they can never read the memory there. So that trust zone can decode the seed phrase, generate, read, you know, get your key generated, and then sign transactions. And it can also take over part of the display or any part of the display. And it can show you like a trusted set of things that you're signing, like the numbers, like, hey, you're signing this transaction and you're actually signing a $100 transfer. And the user can then confirm that like, okay, the wallet didn't lie to me. I'm actually signing a $100 transfer. So all that, all that hardware pieces and all that stuff exists in every phone. It exists in every Qualcomm chip. Uh, the, there's Apple versions of this. And they use these systems for various applications already, like to decode your thumbprint or whatever, or your face ID. But they don't use them for crypto. They don't use them for signing. And I think part of the reason is that like there is no like crypto adoption, actual number of users that sign transactions on a monthly basis, all in aggregate, all together and all the chains is still pretty small. Like, I don't know, what, what do you guys estimate? Like if you combined all the chains, Solana, even Binance Smart Chain together, how many humans actually sign stuff? Um, 10 million, uh, lots of 15. Zeros. I, I, think, I think it's probably five to 10 million. Right, and that's not enough for like Google and Apple to be like, okay, we gotta like, we gotta make changes to the OS and make changes to the web store policies when their user numbers are in like, billions right like <laughs> so so there's so much more we could get out of these secure enclaves the hardware piece that we can't because we don't google and apple and other uh manufacturers aren't giving us the software that would allow us to tap into these things and that's what solana mobile stack is trying yep. to do okay and then the mobile wallet adapter that's open source as yeah. well i believe so what is that and also so i'm curious the context is is this only for running Solana or could other blockchains also run so on this? So it's open source. This... Okay. It's open source. People can send us code. We'll integrate it. We'll get it audited and like, we'll make sure it lands. Um, so in that sense, like it's true open source, we're doing all the development out front and we want contributors, but obviously we know Solana best. So everything we're doing is Solana first. It would be, uh, ridiculous for, for us to try to build an awesome Ethereum integration because we don't know shit about Ethereum. So, <laughs> so like, I don't, I don't even want to try, but like, it, it is truly open source. I'm an open source maxi. Um, the wallet adapter, like when an application like has a connect button and you see 10 different wallets and then another application has a different set of wallets, right? That's an application specific connect button. We just want that to go away and for the application to assume the OS has figured out what wallet the user prefers and just be connected automatically. That's so cool. that allows so that's, that, that's OS native, much user, yeah. much uh, easier user experience. It's small across. piece of code that again, like we, we don't have like a 30% team working on it right now. It's like five engineers, right? Like, okay. so these are, this is, doesn't take like a, a shit ton of resources to build, but these are small pieces that I feel like should be in every phone and will be in five years when the world has changed and we are in crypto utopia. But 
right now, like we need to build them. And, so and just, got- to, just to clarify what I think this looks like for the end user is that mm-hmm. like, say, say for example, like if I opened up my phone right now, I would have like my MetaMask wallet, I would have uh, my other wallet, wallet number three, wallet number four. Uh, and each one of these is its own seed phrase. Each one of these is its yep. own private key. Uh, but like the, uh, we could change that game. And then so if I go and like I go up to open to my desktop and I go to like Uniswap, Uniswap is like, okay, do you have a MetaMask? Do you have Wallet Connect? Do you have like, and they, there's like 30 different wallet options. And so w- with this like integration into the, straight into the hardware, there's just like, uh, show me your phone. Like, I know that's where your private keys are. Just show me that one and like, we're good to go. Is that the kind of the vision here, Anatoly? Basically, yep. Yeah. And then, okay, so the, the last piece here, so we talked about the Seed, seed Vault, the mobile wallet adapter, and so the, the Solana DAP store. So is there a business model for this? Like, is there any kind of take rate that the Solana app no. store? And, the, and then what's like the listing policy? So, so the, you know, the listing policy is a really hard part. Okay. Uh, right now it's basically like going to be like our internal team trying to review it until that can't scale. And the hope is that the saga pass and like the ability for us to use the kind of models that we see that work in DAOs and like being able to like create moderators and things like that and make that workable, that we can scale that to, to start doing moderation and creating like basically lists, right? You should be able to subscribe to your like, Monkey DAO's like favorite app store list, and they they're the ones providing the moderation. But that is a gnarly problem that's going to take a lot of work. Uh, it's gnarly because it's a governance problem, of course, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, the model for for fees and stuff on the app store, I think, can be something simple in the future. Right now, there's no fees, but like if you're trying to like build something and there's no credible business model at all ever it's it's probably not going to work right like <laughs> in the long term i think the way that this should work is um like basically some small percentage sub one percent like i don't know 20 20 basis point fees in every transaction something that i feel like is totally fine because it's paying for the development of the of the product but it's not crushing the the whole business models for all the applications running on it um, and, and to be clear, so if somebody had the uh, Saga phone or some other Android phone with the Solana mobile uh, operating system installed on it, you'd have the Solana DAP store, and then you'd also have like the Google yes. App Store all, as well. So you, you the, download all your other Google apps through that, and then the Solana App Store is for kind of the uh, the Web3 things. Yep. So it's fully Google mobile service enabled. All your Google stuff is there. Awesome has uh, some like kind of lockdown modes where you can basically kill services. So you can, if you want to, as a user, shut down Google or other services. And that, that's a pretty cool feature that's um, that the Awesome team built. It's worth mentioning also that it's, it's not just dApps that can launch in the Solana dApp store. Any application that wants to launch in a no fee environment can can launch in that app store. Um, so we, you know, we've already seen a lot of the games that are leaning into Web three, uh, looking at this as a pretty attractive mobile play, independent of their desire to to have digital assets within the game. I, I do think it's important to understand 
and from a development standpoint or an in innovation standpoint, that like 30% take rate that Apple charges on the iOS app store, that's like, that's like a, that's like a tax that, and which is, it's uh, a stunt on innovation and, and progress. And especially in the web three world, when so much of like the back ends of so many apps is a blockchain, like OpenSea, OpenSea is not going to have uh, an iOS app because they're not going to give Apple 30% of the volume going through OpenSea. That's not going to happen. Right. And so like, like they, it's like physically impossible for them to do that. Like totally. they would go bankrupt. All right. Like, or the users are never going to pay 30% uh, markup on any digital purchases. Just not going to work. 100%. And so not, not only is like the whole rest of the world been like deprived of a zero fee environment to like fully innovate and express the world of just like mobile apps because Apple keeps on taking it all. Uh, the Web3 world never really had that opportunity, but also needs it even more because it's inherently about like money and transactions and trading and swapping and all these things. So like we've never actually really seen a blossoming like mobile developer ecosystem. So it's kind of like no wonder why there hasn't been a, a, a blossom developer ecosystem that's gone mobile before, uh, but hopefully before this. It's really, really hard to build a phone. I worked on like every phone that failed that you've ever heard of, like the WebOS devices, the BlackBerry QNX ones. Oh, are you talking? You're talking before iPhones. Yeah, though. yeah. Metro phone, uh, the Amazon Fire. Do you remember that thing? I do. Uh, yeah. So I, I was like one of the engineers trying to get those things to work, uh, and it's really, really tough. And I think the the real like opportunity we have is that like maybe the crypto users are actually like the most lucrative users in the world right now, because look at OpenSea's volumes, look at Magic Eden's volumes. The number of users that they have is much, much smaller than like, you know, any app in, in, uh, in the iOS store that's in the top 10, but they're generating a ton of real profit and a ton of real revenue. So that well, that's the opportunity. One, one more question for you guys. Then we, when we get a, a cut for sponsors, we have a, a whole lot more to cover, including like the, the, the phone wars and some of the competitors that are, that are entering and second order effects and how this thing was funded and everything else. But what about this criticism? This is not a criticism or a critique we raised on the roll up, but some people are saying like, Hey, Anatoly Raj, look, building a scalable blockchain is freaking hard enough. Okay. And like, there's a lot of work to do. Okay. Solana's had some outages, of course. Uh, everyone knows Ethereum is it has not scaled yet, still hasn't done its merge. Like we have a lot of work to, to do. Is this a distraction? Or why not have a separate team do this? Why are you guys personally involved? What would you say to that critique or question? So like um for the same reason that you can't like add more engineers and accelerate the merge, right? There's just you need experts that are deep working on hard problems. And a lot of those hard problems are solved by only one engineer that just given time and space to do it. Um, and there's a bunch of, there's a really strong core team of system engineers that are constantly iterating on the chain and making it better and cheaper and faster and more reliable. Um, if they need hires, they will get hires, right? Like, like I said before, there's like five engineers at labs that are separate team, a new team that we spun up, I, you know, my Qualcomm background gives me like a really strong network of, of pulling from uh, mobile from the mobile world. And that team is building this and it's a separate product. And our focus on this is uh, people think it's a distraction, but like 
part of the reason why this idea came to fruition, like in large part, is that I talk to devs and I constantly ask them what are the problems they're dealing with, what are the challenges, and half of them, like half of the conversations, ended up mobile. Like we can't like do what we want. Like we have to go through these like weird inter like interfaces and jump through web views with Phantom. And when that problem gets repeated to me over and over, I start, you know, pacing around the room trying to figure out how do I fix it. So like this this idea of launching SMS on the phone really comes from like just talking to devs and us telling us like this is a problem and we don't know how to how to fix it. One last thing I'll say in support of that, and then then we get a cut though, is like um, some people think that scalability just means transactions per second, but I think. When you think about when you define scalability as we want to bring a billion people into crypto, then you also have to take other things into account. You have to think about privacy. You have to look at user experience. You have to look at the fact that it is still mission impossible to go bankless unless you have a desktop machine. You can't go solely bankless on a mobile device right now. It's just not possible. And so that is also another definition of scalability if you kind of broaden that. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's a good thing. you guys are going to like try to like destroy well, that's us. That's the second the half. We could have wanted to. for the second half, which David's about you to want seize. to go there. <laughs> me up, I guess. Uh, in the second half of the show, Ryan already listed off a few of the topics, but also there's this like Jason Keats guy who I didn't know who he was before uh, I started like researching all about this. So I want to ask you guys about that. Uh, and then all the things that Ryan mentioned about five minutes ago. So we're going to get into all those topics and more right after we get through some of these fantastic sponsors to make the show possible. There is a brand new staking feature in the Ledger Live app today. We all like staking the assets that we're bullish on, and now you can stake seven different coins inside the Ledger Live app. Cosmos, Polkadot, Tron, Algorand, Tezos, Solana, and of course, Ethereum. With Ledger Live, you can take money from your bank account, buy your most bullish crypto asset, and stake that asset to its network, all inside the Ledger Live app. Through a partnership with Figment, Ledger also lets you choose which validator you want to stake your assets with. And Ledger is running its own validating nodes, offering a convenient way to participate in network validation, and it even comes with slashing insurance. Ledger Live is truly becoming the battle station for the bankless world, so go download Ledger Live. If you have a ledger already, you probably already have it and get started securely staking your crypto assets. The Brave browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet with over 60 million monthly active users. And inside the Brave browser, you'll find the Brave wallet, the secure multi-chain crypto wallet built right into the browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy, but there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. And most crypto wallets are browser extensions, which can easily be spoofed. But the Brave wallet is different. No extensions are required, which gives Brave browser an extra level of security versus other wallets. Brave wallet is your secure passport for the possibilities of Web3 and supports multiple chains, including Ethereum and Solana. You can even buy crypto directly inside the wallet with RAMP. And of course, you can store, send, and swap your crypto assets, manage your NFTs, and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps. So whether you're new to crypto or you're a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions, and it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need Layer 2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. 
life. Across is the fastest, cheapest, and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about high fees or long wait times. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic oracle to securely transfer tokens between Layer 2s and Ethereum. Across's critical ecosystem infrastructure and Across V2 has just launched. Their new version focuses on higher capital efficiency, Layer 2 to Layer 2 transfers, and a brand new chain with Polygon, all while prioritizing high security and low fees. You can be a part of Across's story by joining their Discord and using Across for all of your Layer 2 transferring needs. So go to Across.to to quickly and securely bridge your assets between Ethereum, Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, or Boba networks. All right, Bankless Nation, we are back with the co-founders of Solana. And as I was going through the process of putting this whole uh, agenda together, I came across this name, Jason Keats, who uh, everyone seems to speak really, really highly of, but I had no idea who this individual was. Uh, Anatoly, you want to walk us through who Jason Keats is, uh, how he's working with, uh, with you guys on this Saga phone, and what's his deal? But so before um, you launch into that real quick, uh, I can plug, totally just did an interview with Jason on the Solana podcast. So everyone should go lovely, check that one out. Lovely. But I'll summarize it. So he's a, he's an astrophysicist. They got into hardware because he started building stuff for his professor for telescopes. And he was like, I like this more and started like, that's where his like kind of career started. And uh, he ended up starting a motorcycle company then like, working on solar panels, then joining Apple and leading the like lead architect for iPad Pro, the first one. Like when they went from like iPad to iPad Pro, he was like the guy that did it and um, was the first or second employee at Essential, which is Andy Rubin's company, like the, the founder of, of the Android. And this project, Awesome, was his baby. He's like, I can build a better phone than anyone else. And I have the best people to do that. And so they decided to build this, this thing. And they got from like nothing to uh, EVT1, like a working device fully built in like six months, which is pretty insane. And that's the point where I met him and I started talking to him about trying to red pill him into like Web3 and mobile and my vision for it. And like, you never know these conversations, right? You meet a thousand people that are not in crypto and you talk to them and like all of a sudden, like just everything clicked for him. And he was like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's like make a, a device that's like web three first, uh, like, but an awesome device, like a flagship top of the line Android device that can be like head to head, be competitive with like the best set of uh, Samsung or, or Apple even. So you, the you kept camera saying awesome Anatoly and it's O S O M. That's what, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> I was not following that pronunciation. I thought you were saying A W E S O M like awesome, but this is awesome. Awesome is, is it right? Yep. And this is what the saga phone essentially yes. is. It's a, a, a creation hardware creation that awesome and Jason made. Yep. And, yeah. and, and it's, totally, it's I, worth I, mentioning I, that, um, you know, I think if, if this was five years ago, 10 years ago, it probably would take, you know, five or 10 times as many people as, as the awesome team has. It's a, it's a pretty small team. And, um, and, and also they're, they're super high powered. You know, they, they're, they're very nimble. They, they move super fast. They bring things to market really quickly. And I, I think when Tully meets somebody like that, um, you know, often it, uh, uh, that, that speaks a lot and, and things move really quickly in a partnership. And Anatoly, you've got the uh, hardware with you right now, right? Uh, I know we're going to try and communicate what the device is like through internet, which is going to be hard. But like, 
what, what's it like? Can you describe it? Um, okay, so it's got a 120 FPS screen. It's like bright and beautiful, like just looks great. Uh, and it's got a metal case. So it like feels really good and high end. Um, I like it more than the glass devices that you see like out of Apple and stuff. Like, so beyond that, it's like a, just a really good Android phone. Like, I don't know like how else to describe it. Like when people get this device, they're going to be like, this is a, has the, the feel of like what a premium Android device should feel like. Cool. Very cool. Anatoly, um, we uh, want to also talk about some other competitors who have kind of thrown their hat in the ring here. And, uh, you know, part of the theme is it, it, it felt like Solana launched something and then all of a sudden this uh, ETHOS um, device, and maybe it's not a device, a software, um, uh, mobile software for Ethereum is on the scene. And Polygon as well announced a partnership with HTC. Is this all like just coincidence that everyone had the same good idea and they're all trying to implement it at once? Or like, what's going on with the timing of all of oh, this? I'm going to say we kicked it off, but I don't know. Okay. Like, I think, uh, I think generally there's enough really smart people in crypto now that they're all working on all the good ideas. And maybe the first one to go lurches them everyone else forward. And we made a big splash and announcement that I think kind of maybe drove some of those decisions to like, okay, we actually have to move a little faster and, and like get shit out. Um, but I doubt we were the only ones thinking about how we crack mobile open for crypto. Um, but if I'll take the credit for it, sure. What do you think <laughs> about these know. other approaches? Are they, are they similar? Like um, ethos, we haven't gone into detail on it, but I don't know if you've looked at it. I would have to dig into it. I think from what I'm seeing on the website, I think it's a, uh, probably similar ideas to SMS, but I don't know how, how deep yeah. they go in terms of the integration. And um, also like, what is the integration on this device? Are they doing like the secure trusted element work and like all these other UX like improvements? Like it's like, you know, the difference between Apple computers and the non-Apple computers in the eighties, there was like a vision behind them to integrate them in a very specific way. And I hope that we have that vision, right? Between myself and Jason, that like we optimize this device from the fact how fast like the thumbprint de decides that you sign the transaction and like all these things we really want to iterate and make it like an experience that people like enjoy, right? And then when they use something else, they're like, ah, this sucks, right? Like we, you want that, like, you want to get used to the good thing and make it really, really good. So I hope that that's what we can achieve with like a, me and Jason working together. I uh, just want to make the point to Bankless listeners that um, more competitors entering this space, good. It's yeah, good absolutely. for you as a user, yeah. okay? Because all of these, all of these uh, software companies are now fighting to make the best possible crypto Web3 mobile user experience. And they're fighting for you, for your usage, so that you use their software and their phone. And that means we all get better together. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've always been a fan of competition. Like this is how it's, it's actually really sad to be building something alone because you don't get to bounce off and see ideas that other people form and adopt them and things move much, much faster when you have competitors. So I'm curious, uh, how much did this all cost <laughs> and how, how was that paid for? Um, 
I don't know if we can like talk about numbers, but um, this wasn't like a huge financial risk in terms of like Solana. It's five engineers. Uh, we have a partnership and some financial terms with Awesome, but nothing that's like like the cost of launching a phone today is much much lower than five years ago, hmm. because you are sitting on on a ridiculously like optimized supply chain for building these devices for a dozen different companies and using Android, which is a very mature OS, very mature UX. And that's, that's like the huge difference these days. When, when like Facebook tried to build their phone, they wanted to build everything from scratch, their own OS from the ground up, their own application source similar with windows. And that like, that's a 300 engineer kind of thing that that's, uh, there's no way we could have pulled that off. Jason also has um, a ton of, you know, pretty long-standing supplier relationships um, that, you know, he's been able to pull strings for. And that's why the phone has the, the latest Qualcomm chip. It, it may be maybe the first uh, phone that hits the market with the latest Qualcomm chip. So, um, you know, Jason's really uh, uh, super efficient. He's got, he's got great relationships to, to leverage. And I think the suppliers also kind of see, see the path here. I mean, there hasn't been a more credible force in tech to launch a new mobile platform and suite of hardware products than crypto and web three. And, and they know that. So I think everyone's watching, if this is successful, they're prepared to, you know, to back more uh, products, lower end products, more hardware peripherals, um, you know, whatever uh, the market will support. Okay. So I, uh, this, this is all great guys. And thank you for walking us through this. I think um, I hopefully bankless listeners learned a lot. C certainly we did as well. Um, I probably have one last question or like critique. I told you the second half was going to get a bit more <laughs> tough here. Let's do it. Um, but like, okay, so <laughs> he, here's, here's, I think what you've clarified for me is Solana's not trying to get in the hardware game. Totally get it. Uh, that makes a lot more sense to me. The value proposition here is uh, the SMS product itself. I was always bullish on the idea of a Web3 software product for mobile because, again, you can't go bankless unless you have a desktop machine, and that is clearly not the future, all right? So all of that is, is making sense with what you guys are doing, this strategy. What my question is, and this is still a clarification point to you that uh, I'm learning a bit more about the Solana ecosystem, is... The Ethereum Foundations, uh, their approach to this in the spirit of decentralization is addition through subtraction, right? So their idea, the Ethereum Foundation, is that they slowly want to ossify the protocol and then go away, all right? I think I was initially under the impression that the Solana phone was like being developed and funded by the Solana Foundation, okay? I learned that is not the case there is this entity called Solana Labs, which is kind of a commercial entity building commercial products for the Solana ecosystem. And that helps. That is, that is interesting to me. So if you put your Ethereum hat on, right, you'd say like almost Solana Labs is kind of a little bit like consensus, which they built Infura, they built MetaMask, they built all of these products to support the Ethereum. They probably ecosystem. tried to phone at some point in time. Like, <laughs> they probably like have. 20 times smaller though. <laughs> okay. And if Ruben's listening, he's probably like, oh, phone, good idea. Okay, I'm on that. I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. Okay. So I get that difference now. One of my hangups is, right, like we are looking for a more decentralized future here, which means ultimately we don't want any centralized development team to control the fate of a blockchain or the ecosystem or to have undue 
um, undue presence, right? And so you have the Solana Foundation, which is separate. You have Solana Labs, which is the commercial entity. But there seems to be like, I don't, I don't know how the funding works. Maybe you could clarify that if Solana Labs is funded by Soul Tokens, but you guys are involved in both Solana Labs and the Solana Foundation and the Solana protocol itself. It just seems to be there's kind of a centralization aspect that's a that's different than the Ethereum ecosystem. So help me understand this element of it. And do you actually think that this is a concern? Or if I'm, am I kind of overplaying it? Am I like, oh, well, it looks like this um, in Ethereum, and why isn't it exactly like that in Solana? And you know, maybe there's a case of that too. Help me understand. It's like, uh, I would say you're, I think it's good to be concerned about it because I think ultimately I don't want centralization and the foundation has a totally different goal, different board, different people on it. And they're driving towards decentralization and like billion users with self-custody. That's kind of their, their shtick. And, and Anatoly is not even involved with the foundation anymore. So he doesn't so have a role there. I got to step, I got to like step down from it because like Leo from Certus is an amazing engineer that's able to take my role as like the person that knows the network inside out at the foundation. And I can hand it off to like an amazing community member. I don't know if you guys know Certus One or Leo at all, but an, an awesome person. So like Labs is able to build products and like Labs has a bunch of money to do that and like a bunch of engineers to do that and it tries to build products that generally like are not competing with ecosystem projects so we don't want to build uh, uh like a magic eden or a phantom because we see that there's amazing really rockstar teams that are have funding and are executing with a vision and just kicking ass but stuff like the phone, there's no team in the ecosystem that's like able to do it. And this is where we see like an opportunity to like, okay, maybe we do something here and it pushes the domino in the ecosystem and unlocks it. And Meta, uh, Metaplex, the, the thing to, that started like the NFT craze on Solana, that was incubated by you know a couple engineers out of Solana and a product manager. And that got spun out as a separate, separate thing. Like that's been kind of how Labs operates. Um, in terms of like, it's it's worth mentioning, by the way, you, you know, you mentioned consensus and they built Infura, they built MetaMask, they built Truffle. And, you know, on Solana, we have QuickNode and Genesis Go and all these RPC node providers. Um, we have Phantom, you know, Anatoly mentioned Magic Eden, um, there's Anchor, all these already got built independently by ecosystem projects that, you know, often if uh, if if we tried to even invest in them, there wasn't room. Um, by the time they they got off the ground, they are, they got product market fit really really quickly. So um, a lot of that you know based stuff you could argue happened in in a much more decentralized way. It didn't happen from a founder or an organization related to you know the the creation of, of Solana the network. I think there's a difference here though with like Ethereum where I don't know if Solana will ossify. I think it'll become more like Linux where there is, there is a wider group of adopt, like people that are developing the protocol at different companies that are contributing to it. And the features track the demands that people have on the hardware as the hardware changes. Because the way that Solana works is so tied to how hardware develops like network cards and CPUs and like all the stuff that we optimize for to take advantage of that. 
that changes every two years, right? That slightly changes and the protocol has to, like the runtime has to change, the implementations have to change. They do so in a way that doesn't break applications, but that means that the code has to be updated and people have to do that. And as the network has matured, we now have like Jita, which is building MEV clients, they're contributing to the core code because they have a dependency on the core code to do a certain thing. Like Mango guys started contributing to the core code because they were seeing performance bottlenecks in their application that they were able to fix. And this is more like Linux where, you know, Intel, Red Hat, all sorts of different companies. You can say that like Red Hat was like labs, right? They had the most developers at one point working on Linux, you know, the, the most core devs, but at some point it really became a really, really small part of Linux as a, as a whole. Like I'd say at this point, probably Google Android guys contribute more lines of code to Linux than anyone else. Thank you guys. That's uh, that's helpful. Um, I guess last question for you, not not on the phone topic, but just since we're on the on topic of differences between kind of the uh, the Ethereum ecosystem and Solana, is uh, can you guys just provide an update on like scaling and kind of uptime and what the plan is there? Because I feel like um, David and myself and Bankless listeners have our heads wrapped around the modular blockchain scalability approach Settlement with rollups and L2s and high settlement assurances and ideally like maximum decentralization. But Solana, I think, has historically taken a different approach. I want to hear what the approach uh, to Solana scaling is right now, how you guys are thinking about this. Sure. So this goes back to the heart of, I think, the what decentralization means to us, right? Like to the Solana community, how we define it. and this comes down to like, what are these networks supposed to provide, right? And they're, from my understanding is that data availability and the an extreme security of that data is what these networks are supposed to provide. And like Yellowstone blows up, the network is supposed to maintain that state in a provable way. And that doesn't actually mean uptime. You lean at least one copy of the state to survive. So you can say like, hey, look, I got the copy of the ledger. Yellowstone blew up, Russia launched nukes, but I still got my one copy in like an island somewhere. And I can prove it to you because I have all the cryptographic signatures from all the validators. This is the copy and it repopulates the network. And that obviously means in that scenario, uptime is down and you're running, you're somehow getting all the validators together and rehypothecating the network and rebooting it. But that process, right? Like is part of running these systems because you're depending on somebody somewhere keep the copy of the state and being able to recover it no matter what. Now, what that means is that we need to maximize the number of independent, truly independent like people that run these nodes for some reason and maintain those in a secure environment. And that includes people that run validators because they want tokens. Uh, it includes Circle, Binance, Tether, with all the exchanges, also like DAO communities because they want to run a node for for the for fun, right? But also apps with RPCs. Like half of the full nodes on the network right now are because there's so much demand for RPC providers because they're serving users for like all the apps that are on Solana. And all those copies of the state are valid copies of the state. Any one of those can can recover. So like so scalability ties into this because we can't have a network that limits the number of full nodes 
right? We have to design it in such a way that maximizes the number of people that can join the network, that can connect to it, and therefore maintain that copy in a real-time secure way. Like when the block is finalized, it's finalized everywhere globally in the entire world. So that means it's got to process a shit ton of signatures per second because every vote from a validator is a signature. It's got to handle a lot of network bandwidth because every vote takes network bandwidth. And this is kind of how we're thinking about it. Like we need to optimize it and allow validators to deploy hardware that allows them to scale it in an unbounded way. So scalability to us means that if there's a bottleneck, validators can just add cores and that bottleneck goes away. It doesn't require us to make protocol changes or launch L2s or anything like that. Not that that's a, that's a different solution, different approach, right? Like not, not knocking it in any way, but having the power of scalability given to the validators and the only thing that they need to do is, you know, go order some shit on Amazon and deploy better hardware means that we're kind of done, right? Like the network is scalable to whatever limits, uh, you know, organized sand allows. David, I think I did the thing again where I just opened up the door to an entirely <laughs> different, a, a podcast different podcast at the okay, end okay. of this yeah. podcast. Yeah, I mean, that's what so, I'm like currently wrapping my head around. Like, yeah, I know because right, I do. I continue David's gearing up to ask and, like, more questions. Do we go to like 10 PM or and the, you know and what I rub, think we should do? Yeah, the rub here we, is that like the cost of the hardware seems to be an a violation of an Ethereum ethos, yeah. which is right. yeah. <laughs> there, There's like, you, you said similar <laughs> words that we it. say in the Ethereum camp, where like, yeah, we want everyone to participate in network validation. Like everyone should like per permissionlessly join the, the, the network as they so choose. But that the, like we're both using these things, but there's still like a difference in like what those things actually translates into. One is like in the Ethereum camp, like a five hundred to seven hundred and fifty dollar laptop, and in Solana, in the Solana world, it's like, well, do you have the means, and are you connected to Amazon Prime, and are you willing to spend an extra like two to I don't know what the and I think are, Anatoly would probably say. That doesn't even matter. That's an inconsequential cost in right. the scheme of when right. you're talking about 32 ETH. And right. we go on and we'd have a... So I feel like we've just opened the door to a to-be-continued. <laughs> because we, we do all not love have each time. other at the yeah. end of the day. We, we want to bring you guys back and talk about that. Um, probably I, I think maybe. there are some crypto crypto developers out there, some Ethereum researchers who, are, who would like see the... Okay, somebody's got to save the state. And if somebody has one safe state then we're good to go. I think I'm, I'm not smart enough to like make the argument myself, but I think that would offend a lot of it, like a core Ethereum developers. Yeah, we should no, have you guys back and have, I. we shouldn't do this now, David. We should have these guys yeah. back and, yeah. and have that conversation, maybe in debate type have format. Have me Dunkrad on here. I love him, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. All right, this is an invitation for a future, but to Thank be clear, we have covered called out. The, the Web3 <laughs> mobile phone that has been the scope of today's conversation. Anatoly Raj, thank you so much for coming to Bankless and telling us more about that. We, uh, we appreciate it. Keep building during the build market. That's what we're here to do. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Take care. Risks and disclaimers, of course, all of crypto is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. 